0: This is a kick in the grass. With Dan Riccio
1: and Jeff Flair
0: on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: It is a kick in the grass, a a big-time addition. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. Follow us on Twitter at DanRiccio underscore and at SNJeffBlair. DMs are open. Send us questions for the show to our inboxes. And if you are enjoying the show, hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcatcher so that way you never miss any episodes. We appreciate if you'd leave a review as well. Our guest today is the great Derek Ray as we preview Der Klassiker coming on Saturday nine thirty on Sportsnet Top of the Table Clash in Germany? Jeff, what's going on?
0: How are you, man? Just living the living the dream of the Manchester United fan right now. Just living <laughs> the dream.
1: I've been uh, I've been sipping on my uh, my Spro this morning, wondering oh. how I'm I'm going to take down Manchester United after that performance through this weekend.
0: I... I mean, where do you want to start? Um,
1: <laughs> I love it, my, one of my favorite parts of it, though. Uh, after the match, I'm watching the, the post game, and Paul Scholes is like, that's one of the worst games Manchester United has ever played at Old Trafford. And I'm just like, did you forget about Tottenham already? Or what about Crystal Palace? Did you forget about Crystal Palace from earlier this year? Uh, they've, been, they've been awful at Old Trafford without fans this season.
0: I, you know, they've been, they've been beyond awful. And I don't know, you know, look, I, I understand the, the two people that the focus is going to be on this week are Paul Pogba and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But, you know, I looked at what Solshar did uh, against Arsenal. OK, his team beats Leipzig 5-0, runs them off the pitch. So he decides that uh, he's going to go with the same formation that beat Leipzig 5-0. Go with the diamond to start the match. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I, you know, why change? They're horrible. So then he goes to a 4 <laughs> two, 3 one at half. And, you know, he moves Paul Pogba high on the left flank. You know, yeah. I, I think you have to do. So to my way of thinking, he has made the appropriate tactical changes. He's made the changes that I think most Manchester United fans would like. And it didn't have any impact. So then I look back at the at the the starting eleven, and you know Fred has been one of the most consistent workers for Manchester United since the pandemic. Uh, I I think he deserves a spot in the squad, but I'm sorry you cannot have Fred and Scott McTominay playing deep, and against a team that's going to press you and expect them to be able to play the ball out of there. They just can't. They've got Donny Van De Beek, who we know can play box to box. We know he's very comfortable with the ball at his feet. We know he can play out of the back. And he's not coming on until a late replacement. Oh, and by the way, during the match, only decides that he needs to replace like for like and bring Madich on. So what I'm saying, Danny, is i understand why he started the match the way he did I, I i don't necessarily understand the starting lineup i understand the formation the change at halftime seems to me to be logical paul pogba needs to be farther upfield he he made the changes he needed to make tactically but then it's almost as if he undid them by the moves he made after that and and i look i i don't understand what donny Beek has to do to get to get us to get a starting spot, I, I just don't. I, lo- I look at how abject they they were against Arsenal, and uh, it, it boggles the mind. It well, it really does. My
1: my problem is Jeff, um, and, and like my problem is with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Like we're a hundred matches into his tenure mm-hmm. at Manchester United, and I have no idea how this man wants to play football. That's very fair. I'm, no, I'm with you. Very. I, I have. I have no idea.
0: You know. And, and well, you look we know. The... We know that he likes to sit. We know that you, Manchester United's ammo is pretty simple: sit deep, hit a team in the counterattack, get the lead, and then keep counterattacking. So get one. And that's what they did about Leipzig. Just take advantage of teams trying to attack you but you can't be a one trick pony you know what yeah. works what works one time isn't going to work all the all, all the time for you and i'm not buying that he doesn't have options you know look they don't have jaden sancho and you know edinson cavani is i mean he's, he's 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 fine he's 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 a depth player he's a squad player he's a guy that can give me maybe 10 15 minutes that's fine but i mean my god i look at rashford i look at greenwood uh, Bruno Fernandez, he has pieces. He just doesn't know how to use them,
1: and that's that's precisely my thought. And that's why, like from week to week to week. I, like I have no idea what Manchester United I'm going to get. You, you know they can look punchless as they did against Arsenal this weekend. They can be careless and reckless like they looked earlier this season in some of the losses that they had. Uh, but one thing uh, it, it is, it, you know, they could also have that match that they had against Leipzig midweek. But you know, on the flip side of of Arsenal, uh, we're much less into the tenure of of Mikel Arteta, and I, and I know what I'm getting out of that team. I, yes. I, I see that there's a clear plan from Arteta on how he wants to build the squad. He doesn't have all the pieces he would like at this point, and I think that shows up in the way that they you know, struggle to create in the final third. But they're solid defensively. They move the ball pretty fluidly, and mm-hmm. they lack a bit of a finished product. And I think that's that's something that is a work in progress for them. But yeah. I see a clear plan, and I don't see that with with Oli. And I think that shows up in in the one player that you know this weekend focuses on. It's it's Paul Pogba, and mm-hmm. it, it's it's been the story of his career at Manchester United. They spend eighty nine million quid on this guy, and they have no idea how to use him. His best position is as a number eight. But think about him at Juventus, think about him with the France team. He had Andrea Pirlo as a, as a distributor, and Juve was one of the most defensively solid teams that we've seen in the last decade. Plus, at France, he had Matuidi and Conte playing with him in midfield. Yes, mm-hmm. he's a brilliant player, but you have to have the right pieces around him to get the best out of him, and Fred, Scott McTominay, Nemanja Matic are not it, and I also think that it's a bit of a clunky fit next to Bruno Fernandes, because Manchester United, the way they play, especially with him as a number ten, they want to play everything through Fernandes, and if if it doesn't go through him, if he's having an off day, they're not going to create much of anything, and that's what we saw on Saturday.
0: Yeah, it's you know a couple of things. First of all, about about Arsenal, um, it, you're right. You know, look, they they won one nil. I'm not certain that having Pierre. Emric Aubameyang, subjugate himself for the better you know for the greater good is necessarily the way you win trophies if you're arsenal i still think he has to be your best player but and, and that's something that i think that, that i think arteta w- will work out um you know he's got options now i mean i love Saka. I, I, and Ketius seems to be exactly the type of player you want to bring off the bench. If you're Mikel Artetti, he gives you a lot of pace. He's got a bit of a you know a, a finishing touch and a cutting edge. Um, but what impressed me most about Arsenal is the play of Partey and, and Gabriel. Mm-hmm. These are two signings that were a little under the radar. They certainly weren't sexy signings, but they've both given... They've given Arsenal something they haven't had in the past. I thought Parthé was Parthe was a was a dominant player. He he yep. he broke up everything Manchester United was trying to do. I think he's a wonderful player. Now, as for you, you talked about Pogba and before he we went in the air tonight, I went back and 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 looked at some stuff. Paul Pogba with the French team because Didier Deschamps is, is clearly the one guy who has figured out how to use Paul Pogba successfully. So yeah, this was kind of started. Renny Mullenstein, who is uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's assistant coach for six years, was was interviewed by one of the Manchester papers this morning and talked about Pogba. And And he said, look at look at how France used him in the final against Croatia. They moved him high up on the right flank. And he said, he, he, this is Muellenstein talking, I think Pogba needs to be more advanced up the pitch. I don't think you can have him lying deep. He has to be in a position where he can make decisions, where he can have players running off him. Or, and this is something we haven't seen, when's the last time you've seen Paul Pogba take one of those shots from just outside the box? Which yeah. is what he what he did that at Juve, he did that for the French team. And Didier Deschamps had an interesting comment about, about, uh about paul pogba and essentially what he said is paul pogba can be a really good player on a very good team you know he's not necessarily the guy you build your team around but he's the guy who can be influential on a good team it's just it's it's who you surround him with and you have to acknowledge the fact that he needs some freedom and you have to acknowledge the fact that when you give him that freedom he's going to make mistakes but the key is if paul pogba's mistakes are in midfield, right? Or in the other team, you know, outside the other team's box. If he makes mistakes like that, that's one thing. But making having him play deep and forcing him to work hard in his own in his own area, that's why you've seen him, you know, concede two penalties in the past 3 matches. I mean that he shouldn't be there. He, yeah. he shouldn't be in the position where he is the last guy between the attacker and 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 the keeper. So I that's you know, to me, Danny, it seems obvious. It's you have to decide if you're Manchester United, whether you're all in on Paul Pogba, in which case you try to make stuff work around him, or you just have to come to the conclusion that he doesn't fit and you have to move him on. But the the relationship can't keep going the way the way it has.
1: No, it can't. Uh I I personally just think that they should they should move on at this point. And Continue building their team around Fernandes and, and Van de Beek, yeah, uh, and 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 move forward. You know, um, you, you'll still be able to get a pretty good feedback for for Paul Pogba. Um, it, it's not. I mean, he's not. I don't want to compare him to Mesut Ozil, but you know that. Like that's that's just kind of it. You know, Mikel Arteta. Well, we're almost made, getting there. We're yeah, we're getting
0: to Ozil stage.
1: It, it feels like it, right? You know, at least. You know, I complained about you know the way United looked and, and the way they played with McTominay and Fred against Chelsea, and, and leaving guys like Van de Beek and, and Pogba on the bench. But you know, it it almost feels like they have more of a, a, a cohesive identity when they do that rather than you know Oli trying to fit these pieces that he doesn't know how to kind of get the best out of all on the field at once. And 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 Arteta, he's made that clear decision with with Ozil. He's just like this guy doesn't fit for me he's not going to give me what i need so like i'm just phasing him out and you know good on the arsenal brass for giving him that that sort of leeway and it doesn't look the best on the club but you know they made that decision and and you can see like there's elements of their game where they miss a player like ozil where they could use that defense splitting pass or something of that ilk but that's that's not how arteta wants to build his team and so he's done with mesut ozil and that's just it and now You see an identity, and you may not love it. You may still not see the end product there with the goals coming, but this is all I need to know about Arsenal right now is to see that they're moving in the right direction and they're putting the building blocks in place. They've got the best defense in the division despite already having to play away at Liverpool, Manchester City, and Manchester United. They've only allowed seven seven goals.
0: Yeah, and they have well, played look, those I, three teams
1: away. I've been, they've played. Those I've been three all teams.
0: in on Arteta, as you know, since yeah. the, I, I, I since the start. I, I think Arsenal Arsenal really has something good going right now. As you mentioned, there's a clear plan. Uh, look, I I look around the Premiership. Uh, you know, Liverpool has has serious injury concerns. Man City they're getting Jesus back apparently on Tuesday. Aguero could be back against Liverpool on Sunday, but they that team seems as if it's out of sync Manchester United's a mess Chelsea you know real questions about Frank Lampard I think maybe he's starting to figure out his best midfield I think we saw that this weekend but still some questions around Around it's uh, it's'm I'm not, I'm
1: not I'm not ready to to uh, you know, paint too rosy of a picture there
0: but you know what we don't have it the first time in 53 years that there are no unbeaten squads through yeah. six matches and if if you do the math it's entirely possible that you could win the prem this year. There's someplace between 80 to 85 points might do it yeah. and could now I'm not saying Arsenal's going to win, but if you go, if you look at those totals, could, could Arsenal be, could they get in fourth? Absolutely. They could, I think this weekend has proven to me two things. And one, as much as I, I hate to say it, you were right about Tottenham. I think Tottenham's very much a factor here. I think Spurs are a real factor yep. and two, I think Arsenal, is a lot closer to top four than a lot of people think they are.
1: I uh I, I see them as a top four contender, not a true uh top of the table contender yet. And it, it's tough to see them as that until they start spending in the same way that Liverpool Correct. or Manchester City are. Um but you know, they've certainly got a pathway towards success under Arteta, and I don't think I've felt that since since Wenger left uh with Arsenal until now. Uh the matchup of the week upcoming in the Prem is Liverpool and Manchester City. So the two teams we had tapped uh, for top of the table, will meet on Sunday. And uh, Liverpool now back atop the table. Uh, Tottenham with another win are just in behind as uh, the table maybe starts to uh, take shape in the Premier League. But let's head over to Italy, Jeff, where uh, Zlatan Ibrahimović is dominating the headlines. And even today, when we tape this on Monday morning, he has... Uh, tweeted out long time no see a picture of him in a sweden uniform so there is a lot of speculation that he is returning to the swedish national side at the age of 39 oh, please. but there is uh, no player in the world right now that is grabbing more headlines than zlatan even though he's 39 it's uh, i mean it's brilliant and he's got milan at the top of the table in italy
0: He's the top scorer in Serie A. He's got seven goals in his first four matches since that that one year contract. Yeah, and you know we talked a little bit about it before he came in the air, Danny. Who has more swagger right now in Serie A than 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 AC Milan?
1: Nobody. I,
0: I, I, nobody does. Um, he has, you know, at the age of thirty nine. He is li- he has literally lifted this team into position where I don't think it's out of the question that they win, Seria. Yeah. I, I really don't. I understand they don't there's I think Inter's you know, obviously Inter's gonna be a factor and you. your guys are are terrific. But I don't know, man. It just seems as if he's willing them to uh to be better than they than they really are and, and you yeah, know, this is a guy. I think when he went when he went to Major League Soccer, a lot of us thought he was just he was going to cash in a little bit, maybe go on a bit of a joy ride. You know, enjoy enjoy living in California. He spends a lot of time there in the off season, anyhow. And and I look at this as something else. I don't only think this is good for Serbia. I think football in general is better when Zlatan Ibrahimovic is scoring goals and and. And, and, and happy and being a contributor. I think this is, this is also really good for MLS because if you can do what Zlatan has done, go to MLS and instead of shut down your career, come back and play in one of the best leagues in the world, that sends a real message, I think, to a lot of players. And, and I really do think every, every time Zlatan scores a goal, Danny, I think it's an advertisement for MLS. And I think that's hugely important going forward.
1: I have I have a lot of thoughts on this. I know that there's a lot of people that are like, "Well, what does it say about Cediya that 39 year old Zlatan is is dominating in the way that he is?" And to that, I'm, I also say, "Well, let's let's give the man the respect that he deserves as." You know, the only player of this generation that kind of comes close to the tier of Ronaldo and Messi. He's not mm-hmm. there, but he is number three, and there's not really anybody close to him in terms of a forward of this generation, at least for me. And one of the things about Zlatan that I, that has changed in these last couple of years for me is the idea that he's... Because he does this as a persona, Jeff, but it's it's more... It's more just about the persona. You know, he, he sounds selfish and he's cocky. He's arrogant. But what I've learned is he's a great teammate as well mm-hmm. because he's a winner. And so many will point to, to the sta- different stages of his career uh, and, and how he showed up as a selfish kind of a player. But you know what? He went to Ajax and he won. He went to Juventus and he won. He went to Inter and he won. He went to Milan and he won. He went to Barcelona and he won. Paris won. You know, even at LA Galaxy last year, okay, he didn't win MLS, but that team is a dog and pony show in the last five years outside of uh, their time with Zlatan. He raises the competitive level of every player around him in a team. And Milan is one of the youngest teams in the top five leagues of Europe, and they couldn't come together. They had no gel. They had no identity. Zlatan gives them an identity, and he brings... uh, a give a bleep meter to that young side and he raises the level of everybody in there as a leader on and off the field and from everything that i've read out of italy in in, on the training pitch and the, the level of competitiveness that he brings each and every day to that squad and that's why they are legitimately the biggest threat to juventus and it is because of Zlatan and everything that he brings to that team. Since he showed up there, Jeff, they're averaging more than two points per game since he joined them last January. It's absolutely and, been an unbelievable turnaround.
0: And I would also ask people and you're right, there are people out there who are going to ask the question, well, what does it say about Serie A that 39 year old Zlatan can dominate it? Look at the goals he's scoring. Look at the type of goals he's scoring. You know, that it it, it the, Zlatan doesn't Zlatan doesn't need to have somebody make a mistake for him to score a goal. He can literally create a goal out of nothing. So I understand what you're saying Other people are going to look at it and wonder, well, both the defensive deficiencies. But I just I urge people to look at those goals and tell me how much of that is a defensive deficiency or how much of it is Zlatan just making something out of nothing. Which he, to me, he's still Messi and Ronaldo were great players, but if I want somebody to make something out of nothing. You know, especially in the, in, in, in the other team's box, it, Zlatan's the guy.
1: And, uh, you know, 39, you know, he doesn't have the pace that he once did. He's used this line a couple of times in Italy. Uh, I think it was in the first game of the year, and he had, he had a couple of goals. And he's like, if I was 20, I would have scored four, you know. <laughs> well,
0: my favorite is a bicycle kick. He says, why run when you can fly? Come
1: on. <laughs> Who else comes up with that? uh just just Zlatan and uh it's it's pretty incredible how he's been able to do that and I know Serie A is kind of getting the retirement league kind of uh, stamp on them with uh, the way that Zlatan has played and Ronaldo has been dominating obviously uh even Frank Ribery has seen a bit of a renaissance uh, with Fiorentina but um you know you, you just can't deny how good Zlatan has been and and He is phenomenal and bringing a lot of eyeballs back to to Serie I would think. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo also returned from uh, his COVID uh, absence a couple of weeks. uh, Scores minutes into coming on as a substitute, which is a very strange sight to see Cristiano Ronaldo come off the bench in a game. I I I don't think that's happened many times over the years. But uh, Juve were dreadful without him, Jeff. And uh, I've made my stance pretty obvious on this show and. Anywhere that people will listen uh, that I have not been a fan of the signing of Cristiano because uh, it it put too much on one player. But I, I can't deny it anymore. This team, they need Ronaldo for success. And that was ever Uh, present in the way that they played the last couple of weeks. Their loss to Barcelona midweek last week in the Champions League, and the way that they had played against Spezia, a newly promoted team in Italy, until Ronaldo uh, jumped on the pitch in the 60th minute.
0: And here's the thing about Ronaldo, and and it, it ties in a little bit with Zlatan, because I think we're at a stage now with Messi and Ronaldo where... I think we need to do something. We, we need to look beyond simply how they're performing on the pitch and how many goals they're getting. And I, I think we need to see how both of those players, how each of those players helps their club transition into the next phase. Because it's pretty clear that Barcelona is going through a transition. I think Juve has to. And this is why I bring in Zlatan we know that ronaldo and messi are the they're the two best players in the world right now they have been they have been for for years that argument is no one's going to decide it i mean you're either a Messi guy or you're a ronaldo guy i happen to be a ronaldo guy but if they can see what zlatan is doing with that young team that to me is going to be the next measure of ronaldo and uh and 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 Messi, you know, absent a World Cup, obviously, if Messi could take Argentina to World Cup, it, it would be remarkable. And if Ronaldo could take Portugal, to, it, it would be remarkable. But I'm going to watch how, at this stage of their career, those two players help their giant clubs transition, and that that'll be a that'll be a fascinating story because I'm not certain, Danny, that it will be easier. For Barcelona to transition compared to Juve, I I think Messi I think Messi is a bigger impediment to Barcelona successfully transitioning to the next phase than Ronaldo. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think Messi can be a bigger impediment than Ronaldo.
1: He is uh, he's a lot quieter, Messi, but um, he also does a lot less work defensively, and he can mm-hmm. he can pout a lot more uh, than than Cristiano does, and. Uh, in different ways. Um, I, I do see what you're saying in that. Um, I, I just, you know, my, my my problem has always been with it in that, you know, Juventus, even with uh, Pirlo and Pogba, just look at their, their last trip to the Champions League final when they did lose to Real Madrid. You know and the the different iterations we've seen of them through the years. Even when they got uh, Carlos Tevez to come into to that squad, it's always been about the team. And when they made the Ronaldo signing, it became more about the player and filtering uh, things through him. And and you know th- they're quite clearly still built to have success around Ronaldo and because of Ronaldo. I just don't think that that was a sound decision at his age. But here they are, and yes, that winning mentality—that uh, you know, bringing a a, a winning feel to the training ground and what that does for young players—I I think that is something I've even understated uh, through the years. So I definitely am coming around on that fact. Uh, we'll see, but uh, I'm still not convinced of Andrea Pirlo as manager either. Uh, match of the week in Italy is Juventus against Lazio on Sunday. Uh, We'll see. Uh, They're going to need to keep uh, fighting to catch up with uh, Milan, who have been uh, the class of Serie A this year. Uh, Coming up, we've got Der Klassiker on Saturday at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time here in Canada. It's on Sportsnet. Borussia Dortmund hosting Bayern Munich, a top-of-the-table fight in the Bundesliga, Derek Ray, the lead Bundesliga commentator for ESPN, will join us next. It is a kick in the grass. Der Klassiker and a top-of-the-table fight between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. It's coming on Saturday, a 12.30 Eastern time start, 9.30 Pacific on Sportsnet and now joining us to discuss it is lead Bundesliga commentator for ESPN, Derek Ray. Thanks for this, Derek. How are you?
2: Thanks for the invitation, Dan. I'm well. Looking forward to this chat.
1: Yeah, as are, as are we. It's uh, it's it's crazy. You know, it's, it's still weird that we're uh, starting this new season when it just felt like uh, Bayern were holding the Champions League trophy not all that long ago, but here they are, and once again, they're they're finding their dominant form as they get ready to take on Dortmund Saturday. Uh, what have you made of Bayern Munich so far this year, uh, Derek?
2: I've been very impressed, because when you think about the difficult circumstances, and this applies to any big club in Europe, but when you think about the workload, the schedule, the games... Every three or four days, you would expect that there might be a slip up somewhere along the line. And yeah, there was one slip up from Bayern against Hoffenheim, who were very clever with their tactics on that particular day. Bayern looked worn out. But in every other game, Bayern have found a way. Now, it hasn't always been pretty. We wouldn't expect that it would always be pretty under these exacting circumstances, but they have mastered the art of the, as they say in German, Arbeitssieg, a working win, an ugly win, if you like. And Bayern really know that they can outplay the opposition, but they can also tough it out to win games. And sometimes that is enough when it comes to winning titles. So I think when you consider what they went through with the Champions League and then virtually no break at all into the new season, you've got to give Bayern A massive amount of credit.
0: You know, Derek. One of the things that I think was really obvious to a lot of football fans when um, you know when the Bundesliga returned and there were no fans in the stands is you 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 got to hear and you got to see which player on each team was really influential, not just in terms of talent but in terms of marshaling teammates. I mean, to me, the thing that stood out on. Bayern Munich was how integral David Alaba was to everything that team did defensively. I mean, I think he deserves a lot of credit for Alphonso Davies' uh, progression last year, sort of yielding that position to Davies, playing more centrally. Now there appears to be a contractual uh, situation, shall we say, between him and the Bayern Munich front office. Does that concern you? Because he's, you know, we even saw in, in, In Champions League, Hansi Flick has a lot of faith in Alaba. He's obviously a player that he thinks is absolutely key to what his his club does. Now we've got this contract on the table, contract off the table thing. Could this be a distraction, do you think, for Bayern going forward?
2: I think it's been a slight distraction for a while, Jeff. I think when you go back over the last few weeks, it all really started, it kicked off when Uli Hoeneß, no longer the president of Bayern, but the honorary president, still an influential figure around Bayern, made a statement on TV that Alaba's agent was, in his words, a money-hungry piranha. You don't often hear such language from um, gentlemen in front offices in German football, but it it sort of escalated from there. it's very clear that in the minds of Bayern, Alaba is being greedy during the time of a pandemic that they think he is, or his advisors anyway, his agent, uh, Mr. Zahavi, um, he thinks that, that they are going too far with their demands and now it seems the plug has well and truly been pulled. And. So we'll see where it goes from here. But it has been a bit of a sideshow. Alaba hasn't been quite as good, I think, this season. He's still very good. And I totally agree with what you said Um, last term. We did see in the initial games without fans just how much of a leader David Alaba is. And, of course, he hadn't been a central defender for Bayern up until that point, but became a very authoritative central defender. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it's not ideal that it has come to this. Normally with big Bayern players, you expect that some sort of resolution will emerge, um, but not on this occasion. And uh, I think that Bayern just feel they have been pushed too far. And we shouldn't underestimate the fact that the financial situation at all clubs in Europe, including the very biggest, is something that is very different now. And what went before doesn't apply now in this pandemic situation. So, um, you know, clearly David Alaba is prepared to go somewhere else. Bayern were trying to make the argument that you don't need to go somewhere else. You can stay here like all the other successful pros of the past who have effectively spent their entire careers at Bayern. You can be that kind of figure as well. But it does appear that the, the court has been cut.
1: Yeah, and it, it really is Bayern that, you know, they, they always have a plan in place as to who will be the successor. And we've seen with with Tiago Derek, uh, that, that Joshua Kimmich has, has really stepped into that kind of a role and uh, has already got, what, two goals, five assists across all competitions. Uh, this is the thing about Bayern. When they go into contract negotiations like this, it doesn't seem like they're afraid of of what happens should that player decide to leave.
2: No, I think that's right. I think succession planning is something that Bayern do particularly well. Now, there was criticism a few weeks ago that the squad wasn't deep enough, but they sort of addressed that by signing players for the squad, not necessarily players who are going to be first-team regulars, people like Bouna Sarr and Marc Roca. But they know that in Kimmich and Leon Goretzka, they have the building blocks for many years to come in the central midfield positions. So in a way, they could allow themselves to let Thiago go. Now, um, again, to go back to Jeff's point about Alaba, I mean, he has become a really special player and more than the left back that he used to be. Of course, for Austria, he's played in midfield before, now emerging as a centre back. But from the Bayern point of view, remember they spent eight million euro 8-0 uh, on um, Hernandez on Lucas Hernandez and he couldn't really get into the side last season uh, much of that had to do with injury but also the emergence of Alfonso Davies, and necessity is the mother of invention. Bayern didn't think they were getting a left back in Davies, but that's how it turned out. And so if you look at it from the future planning point of view, Bayern have Niklas Zule, who, of course, is an excellent German international. They have Lucas Hernandez. They still have Jerome Boateng, and he's indicated a willingness to perhaps extend his contract, something that looked unlikely a year or so ago. So there are options there for Bayern, and again, I think with every negotiation, there does come a stage where one party says, enough, we are not going to continue this conversation on the current basis. And that is what has happened with Alibaba. Bayern wouldn't be doing that if they didn't think they were well covered in those positions.
0: Derek, I'm wondering what you make of Thomas Muller's, I I don't know if you'd call it resurgence under Hansi Flick. I think you, you probably could term it that he certainly seems to be happy with his with his football right now he's even suggested he might be open to being asked back into the German team the national team after he said that he that essentially announced his retirement or suggested that he was not interested at least in that what what's happened to, to Thomas Muller in in the past 18 months under under Hansi Flick
2: Well, I think, first of all, Hansi Flick happens to Thomas Müller, and that was very important. Previously, when Niko Kovac was in charge, it was very clear that he was being phased out, that he didn't see Müller anymore as an integral part of that Bayern team. But sometimes it comes down to man management. It comes down to reshaping the team so you get the best out of certain players. And Flick and Müller just happened to gel it was the right fit at the right time i have to say i was always puzzled by this business of sort of de-emphasizing muller because to me he's the kind of guy who really should be with bayern forever you know you could imagine Mm -hmm. if we were having this conversation in 20 years time that thomas muller is either the president of bayern or he's certainly a senior figure at the club somewhere i mean you couldn't really imagine him suddenly turning up and playing for liverpool or for, for Milan or something like that, could you? I mean, he's, he's Bayern to the core in terms of his personality, his upbringing, um, just the, the very way of being that we associate with Thomas Müller. Now, every player, of course, hits the autumn of his career and maybe it's natural to think that there's going to be a slowing down, but I didn't really get it. Uh, and uh, Hansi Flick simply came in and said, you know, you are one of my guys and you're one of the players who I'm looking to. And um, he still goes about his business with this kind of real zest. It's impossible not to like Thomas Muller. I will say that. I think if you, if you dislike Thomas Muller, you maybe need to have a long, hard look in the mirror mm-hmm. because, um, you know, he, he does play the game that we all love with a certain joy and he does it his way I mean goodness knows he's not an orthodox footballer when you look at some of the things he does um you know they are unique to Thomas Muller his his skill set and and the way he reacts to things on the pitch and um you know I never tire of watching him and uh, yeah I think he's fortunate that in Hansi Flick he found the right man manager as well as the right coach
1: Derek Ray, our guest. Uh, you mentioned Alfonso Davies earlier, and you know that's somebody uh, we talk quite a bit about here in Canada, of course. Um, the injury is is a tough situation for him after what was a, a brilliant, uh, you know, first year, like really being a part of the first eleven for Bayern Munich. It didn't really seem to be coming to him as easily at the start of of this season. What what did you see in Davies play before the injury?
2: Before the injury, I think. By all accounts, I'm told that in the first week or so after coming back following the Champions League after that short holiday that he wasn't quite up to speed in comparison with some of the other players and that can happen after a short break. and Quite simply, Lucas Hernandez took that place at that position at left back and looked better. And Hernandez, remember, has something to prove having been out of the side for so long last term. He's somebody who can play left back as well, even though he's really a central defender by choice. So I think with Davies, it was that. Um, And, you know, remember, this is Bayern, so that you have to be doing it every day, in training at the Sebener Straße, as well as during the matches. And so now he's got the injury, and of course we're all concerned and we're all hoping that that he can come back in time. But it is difficult at Bayern, and this is, I think, really a test of any player's resolve and, and mental capabilities. So we shall see, but I mean, he's still young, and. The great thing about Davies, of course, is that, and I mentioned this in one of the earlier answers, he really wasn't signed to be a left back. He was signed as somebody who would play higher up the pitch and they knew he was good. They didn't know how good. And, you know, so there's always scope for him to fit in there. In this long season season, Uh, with all these games in various competitions, and Bayern have strengthened in those wider attacking positions, having signed, of course, Leroy Zanet and Douglas Costa on loan from Juventus. They already have Gnabry, they already have Coman, but there is room for different players in those positions as the season goes on. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a shame because... He was so incredible last season. I mean, I think we ran out of superlatives for Alfonso Davies last season because, I mean, every time you watched him, he seemed to... Just dazzle. You know, I remember watching him. I was in uh, Munich for the 0 0 draw against Leipzig. It seemed like a pretty important game at the time because Leipzig were making a push. And uh, I remember just watching Davies in front of me and, and marveling at his ability to race away from opponents. And um, you could sense the crowd as well, sort of the oohs and ahs in the crowd whenever he took off in that fashion. So, um, you know, it's a long career for him. He has time. It's just a pity that the the disappointing start to the season and then the injury have been the stories as far as he's concerned.
0: No, Derek, uh, it's fitting that we go into Der Klassiker with uh, both Dortmund, both, both Borussia and, and Bayern tied at the top of the table. Uh, Borussia trails by goal difference, uh, thanks to Borussia Mönchengladbach beating RB Leipzig. So those two teams are at the, at the top of the table. How important is this match for Lucien Favre?
2: I think it's hugely important because the reputation he has now is as someone who is a very good coach, a good teacher, somebody who can bring attractive football to a particular club, in this case, Borussia Dortmund, but the reputation still is there, as far as he's concerned, uh, of, of someone who doesn't win these big games against Bayern. And that, unfortunately, was what happened last season. Yes, he did beat them in the Super Cup, the German Super Cup, but you would always trade that for a victory over Bayern in a league match against Germany's record champions. So he is being watched closely. I mean, it certainly was debated heavily at the end of last season. Should they keep him? Should they not? Um, And, you know, he made it clear he wanted to stay and... He's on probation, I think it's fair to say. Maybe that's cruel because, you know, you sort of ask the question, what more can Dortmund really do, you know, Mm. when you're up against this Bayern machine, the best team in Europe, as we can see. Well, you sort of almost have to, to become the best team in Europe yourself in order to put one over them. But in these individual games, Borussia Dortmund do need to fare better. So that's why I think it is very important. And I think a lot of eyes will be focused on Lucien Favre, his contract, of course, up at the end of this season. And, you know, there is definitely talk that if Bayern were to to run away with it, um, then we would be discussing more and more who his successor would be. Um, I thought they did a good job in the, the Super Cup meeting recently, although the substitutions kind of got in the way. We saw early substitutions made with future matches in mind, which took away from the spectacle of it. But I thought Dortmund played well and really matched Bayern in most aspects of the game. So this one is not crucial from the point of view of who wins the title because it's too early for that. But it definitely could be a real, let's call it a direction pointer with the rest of the season in mind. and especially with regard to Lucien favre
1: It's it's an interesting uh, Dortmund side. You know, there, there's so much talent in this team. And you feel like on talent, you know, they, they have the ability to, to at least I do, to, to go on and win the Bundesliga title. But sometimes that inexperience, I think, is what shows up. You know, their one loss this year in Bundesliga play came to Augsburg, who have been pretty good this year um, compared to what they were a season ago but it just feels that that inexperience comes, comes to bite them at inopportune moments, aside from, you know, these big matches against Bayern.
2: I go along with that 100%. I think Borussia Dortmund in most games are very good to watch. The tactics are good, they're sound. Um, they do have a good defense. I mean, they have only conceded two goals against Augsburg, as you mentioned. Now, in that game, I think that's where we really saw... Dortmund's failings. They can have 70% of the possession. They can outplay the opposition or think that they're outplaying the opposition but then really um, surrender to set-piece goals or goals on the counter-attack and looking a bit sloppy in the process usually by a team with street smarts and Augsburg fall in that category. Um, I do think when you look at the side though it is a good team you know The defence is often criticised and I think that's because of a certain softness in particular games rather than an overall weakness at the back. I mean, Mats Hummers is playing out of his skin and, you know, scored two goals at the weekend, his first double in more than 10 years in the Bundesliga. But more than that, the build up play all sort of begins there with Hummers and his uh, ability on the ball. And um, when you look at the choices that Favre has to make higher up the pitch. I mean, he really is spoilt for choice. He can rotate in and out, if you want to call it a front four, with Edling Holland, of course, being the fixture in most games, although didn't play at the weekend. Um, But then you can sort of perm any, any three from six or seven and still have real quality in those attacking positions, whether it's Jadon Sancho, whether it's the young American Giovanni Reina, whether it's Marco Reus, whether it's Torgan Azar, Julian Brandt, the list goes on and on and on. And similarly in the slightly deeper midfield positions, plenty of options there. Um, So I, I think that the team does have a nice makeup But they just seem to fall in particular games. And Augsburg was one. And then in the Champions League against Lazio, that was another, I thought, quite similar. Um, Thomas Meunier switching off for one of the goals and just not having enough in that game in an attacking sense to get themselves back into it. And you just don't see Bayern making those mistakes quite to the same extent. And that, for me, is still the difference between the two. Dortmund definitely can beat Bayern, but the chances are Bayern are not going to switch off in the manner of the Schwarz Gelben just at particular times.
0: You know, Derek, one of the, the players I'll be watching in particular is Jude Bellingham. I thought he mm. was he was terrific box to box this weekend. He, he clearly he's he's up for he's he seems to be the type of player who's up for a challenge. How important do you expect him to be in, in this match and, and is, is he a guy look Holland's gonna get Obviously going to get a lot of the focus, so will Jaden Sancho. But in a lot of ways, it seems to me that Bayern is going to have to figure out a way to deal with Bellingham's work rate.
2: Well, Bellingham is very mature for such a young player. I I read a really good interview with him uh, conducted by Kicker magazine just the other week. And I couldn't believe that uh, the words were those of of one so young. And clearly he's been preparing himself for a football career for a long time. I think what they did for him at Birmingham really has helped his career where he got a lot of game time in his last season there. And he looks up to Jadon Sancho. I think that is very clear and that's probably been good for Jaden Sancho as well, to be the role model, to be the, the person who is showing his compatriot the ropes in this new country. But um, with Bellingham, I just get the feeling he's somebody who is all business. You know, he is, he is all about the task at hand and he sees the pitch so well and he's versatile. I mean, tactically very flexible, again, for such a young player. And, yeah, Bayern will certainly take him seriously. And, again, they do have choices, Dortmund, who they slide into midfield, you know, whether it's Axel Witzel, whether it's Bellingham, whether it's Mo Dahoud, who I think is a player who maybe has been underrated in his time at Borussia Dortmund, Thomas Delaney, somebody else. So, I mean, this is a strong squad, and Bellingham is learning from some of the very best. But I do think that... You know, give him a year or so, give him a couple of years, and we could be talking about one of the very best players in that position anywhere in the world.
1: It's going to be a great match on Saturday, Derek. Uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us and giving us your insights. Thank you. Always a joy, guys. Thanks for having me on. A massive match coming on Saturday. Can't wait for it again. Watch it on Sportsnet 1230 Eastern Time. Coming up next, your questions for injury time to close out the show, a kick in the grass. It was Aber Villa who led the fantasy Premier League this week for a kick in the grass. He had uh, goals from a couple of different places, which doesn't hurt. Jack Grealish continues his hot start to the season. Also, Ollie Watkins picked up seven points uh, for Steve in his team. And uh, Timo Werner uh, scoring for Chelsea this weekend our kick of the grass fantasy league at premier league.com. Use the code P P I B D six. Jeff, I, uh, I should stop talking trash because uh, you're, you're only a few points behind me now, as I've uh, just uh, taken a stumble down the table the last couple of weeks, slow and
0: steady wins the race. As I tell you, when you, when you're in a, when you're in a, a, a fantasy league with, with like 30, 30 other people, it really does depend on who you captain uh, yeah. in that particular week. Because I think, mm, if you look at the teams, most of us have kind of kind of settled I think on 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 who we like in terms of players and now it's just simply a matter of you know finding who who gets the C and that's been hard at the start of the year because there've been so many goals there've been so many goals at the start of the year.
1: Uh, All right. Injury time is how we close out the show. It is questions from you, the listener, that we answer with these last few minutes. At Dan underscore and at SN Jeff Blair, send us a private message uh, with your questions. And also uh, you can hit me up on Instagram at Dan with questions each and every Sunday ahead of our Monday taping. All right first uh, we had a couple of questions come in from a couple of folks our thoughts on Bev Priestman as the new coach of the Canadian women's team Jeff well I mean look
0: initially I was hoping that it would be a somebody who played for uh, for John Herdman a Canadian like a lot of people I think I, I you know I want to read on Wilkinson um to get the job initially i hadn't thought of bev priestman only because she was in the england setup with the uh you know with the english women's program and i just frankly just kind of assumed that that uh you know that that she would she would remain there look she's a john herdman protege my god she she almost sounds like him when you you interviewed her we had her on on writer's block in toronto and she's got the same level of enthusiasm as Herdman does same level of intensity and I think it's a smart choice because here's somebody who has a foot in both camps she was with the program when Christine Sinclair was there and she knows enough about the program that she uh, she'll be able to help bring in the you know some of the new talent And what I really liked about her and and I found this an intriguing answer I asked her about the development of women's leagues in Europe compared to what we're seeing in North America. And she said, look, what you're starting to see now in Europe is you're starting to see the women's club teams reflect the approach of the men's club teams. Right. In other words, there's a tactical the Manchester City's tactical setup is essentially based on the principles of Pep Guardiola. That's the setup that the women's team uses. And it was interesting hearing her say that a lot of the European coaches are kind of adapting the methods of the higher profile European men's coaches. And the game in Europe is much more tactical than it is here. Whereas, you know, the, the, the Women's League in particular, it seems to be a little more free flowing. With a little more based on the athleticism and, and just the raw talent of the players so i think this is going to be great you're going to have somebody who's got a little bit of tactical mouse from being in in europe and being exposed to the women's program bringing it over here i think it's a i think it's a really good i think it's a really good hire and you know the other thing it does too and and this is not to take anything away from bev priestman and it's not to take anything away from women's soccer at all but i think it's the fact that she will have an open door uh, with John Herdman will make a real difference to the transition of this program going forward, and I'm especially thinking of the like, like the nuts and bolts of the development of women's soccer, soccer regionally and nationally, which is something John Herdman believes and she does as well. So I think that's important. It's important that you bring in somebody who knows where Nova Scotia is and where Manitoba is and where Saskatchewan is.
1: Yeah, it's. Um... It it is a tough spot for the Canadian teams, uh, both men and women, uh, given the pandemic and not being able to get your squads together and and really get some games in. Um, They're not going to be playing through the November windows, so uh, neither Canadian international senior team is going to have any matches played for the rest Mm -hmm. of 2020. And, you know, we've got the Olympics next summer. You've got a new coach. Uh, Is there new principles? How does that all factor in? Uh, I think that's going to be interesting for the women's side and also for the men uh, with, uh, you know, World Cup qualifying and a Gold Cup coming next year. And they haven't played together in a very long time. I just want to shout out Janine Becky as well. Scored uh, for Manchester City as they uh, won the FA Cup. Uh, on on Saturday, so shouts uh, to Janine and uh, the rest of Manchester City uh, for their FA Cup win. Uh, all right, let's stay on that front. Jalen has this question: Christian Pulisic or Alphonso Davies? Who are you taking, Jeff?
0: Uh, well, I'm taking Alphonso Davies, and I'm not not just because.
1: Would we have to hand in our citizenship if we didn't?
0: Well, I was going <laughs> to say beyond that a. You know, Jonathan Wilson named him in his World Eleven, right? Wow. Enough yeah. said. Um, he is redefining a position. He, it's not to take anything away from Kristen Pulisic. I was going to say that he's also been healthier than Kristen Pulisic, although, you know, clearly that's not the case. That, that's not the case right now. But I, I think he's, I think he has a chance to be a, a more dominating, a more influential player. And Christian Pulisic does now internationally internationally I don't know uh, I, I think I look at the US men's team and some of the younger players the US has developed and I, Dan I, I'm I mean I have real concerns I think we're I don't think we're that far away again from from the US program absolutely dominating CONCACAF they've got so many good young players and they're playing all over the place
1: yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. You think of uh, Sergio Dest, uh, who's maybe been in one of the lone bright spots at Barcelona for the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, alongside Al- a- Ansu Fati. Uh, but Josh Sargent scored in the weekend for, uh, in the Bundesliga. I mean, there's just American players everywhere.
0: Right Reina is like phenomenal. Re- uh, Reina is a phenomenal. He's going to be. Ch- I'll make this. I'll make this prediction right now because I think you know the argument in Concacaf has been sort of who's better. Uh, who's the best player in Concacaf? We're about, I would say, we're about eighteen months away from putting him in that discussion, as as, yeah. as, 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 as being an American player. I, I think it's, I, I think he will eventually eclipse Pulisic as as being the most dominant American player.
1: Uh, Tyler Adams has been really good at at it's Red Bull terrific. Leipzig. Uh, I've loved what Weston McKinney has brought into uh, Juventus as well. So, I mean, yeah, they're just littered with talent, playing at some of the biggest clubs in the world now. Uh, It's taken them a few years. Uh, It was tough uh, after what happened with the World Cup in 2018, but uh, clearly the U.S. is on a better track. Uh, But, yeah, still taking Alphonso Davies in that question as well. And finally, uh, we did have a bunch of tweets saying that Steve Bruce would be the first manager sacked Newcastle Hmm. beat Everton on the weekend. Do we still believe uh, that with the way that Newcastle has started this season? No.
0: Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think that we will see a manager quit before we see a manager sack.
1: Interesting. And
0: I think we're going to see Sean Dyche at some point just pull up stakes and say enough. Um, yeah. And and you know, if you watch look, what Burnley's done, has been remarkable. They spent, what they spent just a shade over a million pounds in the transfer window, and Sean, look, Sean Dyche reads. And he knows that a lot of people have been paid for bigger jobs. and i I just watching him on the sidelines, I really get the impression that we're very close to seeing him go to the Burnley board and say, "Look, let's figure out a way. let's figure out a way out of here." Um, as for Steve Bruce, I'm one of these people who thinks that Newcastle United has been helped by the pandemic because you know what? They got no fans in the stands. They can just go about playing the way they want to play. The fans aren't going to get in their back. Whatever anger there is at Mike Ashley, you're not. You're not seeing demonstrations on game day. I'm sorry. Look, I understand Steve Bruce is, is old. I understand that Steve Bruce's teams play boring football. But you find me someone else who can get get more out of Newcastle right now than Steve Bruce is is getting out of them. You know they, they are. I just, I don't, I don't think there's anybody. So I think Steve Bruce stays there for a while. And you know what? As long as, look, as long as L.A. St. Maximin and, and Callum Wilson are happy and being productive and scoring, he's got a really good keeper. He's got a very underrated keeper. I, I, I'd be happy with, with Newcastle kind of going along. At some point they're going to have to make a change, but I don't think, I don't think now's the time.
1: Uh, Callum Wilson has been unreal. Six goals already. Uh, nobody's really talking about him, uh, but uh, another brace on the weekend. Uh, he's been really, really strong coming over from Bournemouth. Uh, one of the more uh, strong under, underrated signings of the Premier League this offseason Jeff it's been a blast Liverpool Manchester City next weekend looking ahead to that Real Madrid and Inter in the Champions League though uh, the way that they've played in the Champions League both of them I don't know how big of a matchup that actually is Uh, so we'll have lots to talk about next week here on the show you can always subscribe and leave a review we do appreciate it on whatever it is your preferred podcatcher is until next week for Jeff Blair and producer Cam Bear I'm Dan Riccio this has been a kick in the grass